uh, as we transition from worshiping uh, through worship, through singing, um, to the preaching of God's word, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. We are continuing our sermon series on 1 Kings this morning, and we'll be reading chapter 3, verses 1 through 15 together. So you can follow along in your copy of God's Word. Uh, This will be on the screens behind me as well. It says this, 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace in the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father, David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father, David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime, you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David, your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke And he realized it had been a dream. Let's pray together. God, thank you for revealing yourself through your word that we might know you and know ourselves in lights of who you are. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be with Pastor Kevin as he serves as a messenger of your word today. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be with us as we receive it, that we might have ears to hear that your word would work this morning. And God, I pray for those that don't know you today, that are here seeking or confused or trying to figure out what life is about, that they might come to know you today through the preaching of your word. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Stephen. And and again, I want to welcome you and thank you for being in worship today as you came in. 
you should have received a bulletin. On the back of that bulletin is a message map that will help guide you uh, through the text today. And as you find that, and maybe a pen as well, let me take just a moment uh, to welcome those who are worshiping with us today in our overflow room. Or if you happen to be watching by video, or if you're listening by podcast, we want to thank you for joining us in worship as well. As you can see, we are continuing our series on the book of First Kings. And if you've been here with us, you know that First and Second Kings were, were originally one book, um, and they cover a period in Israel's history from roughly 960 B.C. to 586 B.C. when the southern king of, kingdom of Judah was destroyed by the Babylons. First Kings opens with David on the throne of Israel. David was the second king over Israel uh, following Saul. Uh, David reigned for 40 years and David was a warrior king. Uh, David spent most of his life and most of his reign as king in various battles and wars. And he was very successful as a warrior king. Uh, by the time his reign ended, Israel had defeated their enemies and they had established themselves as the major superpower in that region. Now, First Kings opens with David on the throne as king, but he is old, he is near the end of his reign and then he passes on and his son Solomon becomes king over Israel. And you heard the text that Stephen read earlier. The first thing that Solomon does as king is to marry the daughter of the Egyptian pharaoh. This was purely a political move on Solomon's part, and it was a shrewd one. Uh, the Egyptians rarely let their daughters marry anyone who was not Egyptian. And the fact that Solomon was able to marry the daughter of the Egyptian Pharaoh meant that Israel was an incredibly powerful nation at this point. In fact, it would have been a point of national pride for many Israelites that the powerful Egyptians, this nation that had enslaved the Israelites just 500 years before, now desired to have an alliance with the Israelites. Now, the marriage of Solomon to the Pharaoh's daughter sealed this alliance. Now, there's something you need to keep in mind about this first verse. Number one, this was not Solomon's first marriage. Before he became king, Solomon married a woman named Namah. And although this is debated, most scholars believe that the Old Testament book, Song of Solomon, was written about that particular courtship and marriage. Song of Solomon is this beautiful account of this passionate relationship between a couple. Uh, they wait until marriage to express physical intimacy for one another. Uh, the book covers their courtship, their engagement, their wedding night. It is this beautiful story of Solomon and this woman. Uh, the marriage that is covered in Song of Solomon was his first marriage, and most scholars argue it was the one true love of his life. The second thing to keep in mind about this marriage of Solomon to the Pharaoh's daughter was that this became the pattern of Solomon's life. 
the Bible tells us that Solomon had 700 wives. His father David had four. No king prior to Solomon or after Solomon had anywhere close to the number of wives that Solomon had. Which begs the question, why did Solomon have so many wives? What what was the point of all these marriages? Well, it was not because of love and not even because of lust. It was simply political maneuvering on his part. These alliances enabled Solomon to keep the peace with the nations around him. He married these women from various nations and the family connections kept these foreign powers from fighting against Israel. And these alliances worked. Like his father David, Solomon reigned for 40 years, but unlike his father David, Solomon never went to war. He reigned over a 40-year period of peace, which was highly, highly unusual in the ancient world. Families were very much accustomed to seeing their sons, their husbands, their brothers go off to war. It was just an expected reality in that day. In fact, if you've been in church for a while, my guess is you likely remember the story of how the affair between Solomon's father, David, and Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, began. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 11. Do you remember how that story opens? It it says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David was at his palace. And the intent of the writer there was to let the reader know that David was not where he was supposed to be. And that's what led to the the next steps of him having this affair. But we can also deduce from that verse that it was very normal and natural in the spring for men to go off to war. After the long, dark, cold winter, they would be expected to then go into a battle or go off to war. It was just a normal part of life in ancient cultures. But not under Solomon. Not under the 40-year reign of Solomon. There was a long period of peace. And it was due in large part to the multiple, multiple marriages of Solomon. It was a very savvy move, politically speaking. However, it was extremely destructive on a personal level for Solomon. As we will see as we go through this series, Solomon's many wives, his many, understand this, foreign wives, turned his heart away from the Lord. Solomon began his life, and he began his reign as king, devoted, very much devoted to God. But in his later years, his heart moved away from the Lord. And when this happened, it led him down a very dark path. In fact, he ends his life in a state that can only be described as clinical depression. So why do I bring all of this out of this very first verse in the passage? 
It is because you have to understand the bigger picture of Solomon's life to understand this interaction that he has with God and the prayer that he makes to God. As Stephen read earlier, Solomon goes to Gibeon to worship. This was before the temple was constructed. At this point, the Israelites would go to the tabernacle to worship. The tabernacle was a large tent that was able to travel with the Israelites as they left Egypt and went toward the promised land. The tabernacle was located in Gibeon. Solomon made this very short journey from Jerusalem to Gibeon, and there he sacrificed a thousand bulls to God. A thousand sacrifices were made. It shows that Solomon at this point was already pretty wealthy. It also shows his extreme devotion to God. He spent the entire day making these sacrifices, beginning his reign as king with this powerful day of worship. And then after this event, God visits Solomon in a dream and says to Solomon, ask me for anything you want and it will be yours. Such an incredible offer made to this young king. Ask anything, anything at all, and it will be yours. And to his credit, Solomon here humbled himself and he asked God for wisdom and discernment, not for selfish reasons, but that, so that he would be able to rule over God's people. He recognized his youthfulness. He recognized his lack of wisdom. And so he prayed to God for wisdom and the discernment to know between right and wrong. We won't read the entire text, but just here is the specific request of Solomon in verse 9. Solomon said, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? God was very much pleased with this unselfish request of Solomon. Uh, because Solomon did not ask for riches or fame or fortune or uh, the death of his enemies, because he did not ask for long life, because he did not ask for power, because he did not ask for these things, God gave these things to him along with the wisdom that he asked for. We know a great deal about Solomon, not just because of what we read in 1 Kings, but because Solomon himself wrote a number of books in the Bible. Song of Solomon, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes were all penned by Solomon. And from these books and what we read in 1 Kings, we are able to see that Solomon had incredible wisdom, just as he asked for, but unbelievable wealth, tremendous fame, stories of Solomon spread far and wide. If Solomon were alive today, he would have by far the most followers on Instagram. He was just that well-known. I mean, Solomon absolutely had it all. He lacked no good thing this world has to offer. To use our modern church language, we would say Solomon was blessed. Isn't that the word that we use? Oh, look at Solomon. What's going on with Solomon? Oh, he's blessed. Let me tell you about Solomon. He is blessed. I mean, he's, he never has to worry about money. And he's a published author. He's on speaking tour. Everybody knows about Solomon. He has all the creature comforts of life. 
I mean, Solomon is absolutely blessed by the Lord. Yet, here is the incredible mystery of Solomon's life. In his latter years, something happened. Everything changed for Solomon. This man who was incredibly blessed at the end of his life did not feel blessed at all. The book of Ecclesiastes is essentially the journal of Solomon, the diary of Solomon during these later years where he goes on this philosophical existential journey to discover what could actually bring him joy in life. And Solomon in this book looks at everything that he had, which was a lot, everything that God had given to him, and he comes to the conclusion that it meant nothing. In fact, the word that he uses over and over in Ecclesiastes is the word meaningless. Everything he had, everything that he had done, all of life for Solomon was just meaningless. There are a lot of verses I could point from, to you from Ecclesiastes that, that show this. I think the one that captures it the best is found in chapter 2. It summarizes the emotional and spiritual and mental state of Solomon. Notice what he wrote in verse 17. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. So let me ask you this really dumb question. Do you think that Solomon was happy? When he wrote these words, does he seem happy to you? Uh, of course not. It's a dumb question. He says it right here. He hated life. And he says this about work, but he also in Ecclesiastes says it about every other slice of life. It was just meaningless. He hated his life. He hated getting out of bed in the morning. He hated facing everything in the day. His days were just grievous. Now, here's what I want to do. Let's go back to the story that Stephen read earlier. God comes to Solomon and says, Ask for anything you want, whatever you want, anything at all, and it will be yours. It was the ultimate Aladdin and the genie moment. Depending on how old you are, you can either picture Will Smith here or cartoon Robin Williams, either one. And granted, it was only one wish, it was not three wishes, but anything at all, that's still pretty good. God comes to Solomon and says, anything you want, you can ask for it. And Solomon says... I want wisdom to know the difference between right and wrong, to discern between the two, to know how to govern your people well. And God was pleased at that request. Yet, here at the end of Solomon's life, he says he hated life. Do you think that Solomon ever looked back on that moment that we just read about? And do you think he ever thought, I wish I had prayed something different? Do you think he looked back and thought, I wish I had prayed for joy, that I would have joy the rest of my life? I mean, we don't know. We don't know if he ever wondered that. But I do 
think that maybe perhaps there was something missing in the way that Solomon prayed. Which leads us to what you see on your message map. Uh, You'll notice that I've listed three different categories of prayers. And the first category uh, I describe as just good prayers. You can write that in, good prayers. Here's an example of a good prayer, or we could even say a necessary prayer. This is from Matthew chapter 6. This is part of the Lord's Prayer, which is a model prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. And part of that model prayer was to pray this. Lord, give us today our daily bread. Good prayers are prayers for our physical needs, for our emotional needs, for some relational needs. They're prayers for our daily bread or the daily bread of those around us. And these are good prayers to pray. I pray these prayers all the time. If someone needs physical healing and they say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Absolutely, I will pray that God will heal you. If someone says, look, I just went through a really bad breakup. I'm hurting. Would you pray for me? Absolutely. I will pray for you. My son's trying to get into this college. Would you pray that God would open the door for him to get into this college? Absolutely. I will pray for that. I need a job right now. Would you pray the Lord would would open the door for me to get a job? Absolutely. These are all very good prayers. And Jesus instructed us to pray these prayers. However, let me give you two cautions with our daily bread kinds of prayers. The first caution is this. Blessings can lead you away from the Lord. These daily bread prayers, if you get answered yes on all of these prayers, just know it can lead you away from the Lord. Imagine for just a moment, that God decided to answer every prayer that you pray that is a good prayer. You're in school and you say, I have a big test coming up. Lord, would you please help me to remember everything that I've studied and do well on the test? And the Lord says, yes, and you do well on the test. Lord, would you help me make a good grade in this class? And yes, and you make a good grade. Would you help me get into the college that I'm really wanting to go to? Yes, would you help me get that degree? Yes, I meet him or I meet her, Lord. Help them to say yes to me. Lord says yes. And Lord, we want this house so we can raise a family. And Lord says yes. And we want children. The Lord says yes. We want this job. And the Lord says yes. And children come along. Help them make the good grade. Help them get into the school. Help them to get a job and to meet the mate. And the Lord says yes, yes, yes. The whole way through. That is great and that is wonderful. Except there is the potential there. For all of these yeses to pile up in a way where we say, I'm more in love with all of this stuff than I am with God. And our heart drifts from the Lord. There's this little known Bible character named Demas. Uh, Demas is mentioned in the New Testament books of Colossians and Philemon as a partner in ministry with Paul. This was a young man, we presume, who was very committed to the Lord. He traveled with Paul, sharing the gospel with others. But at some point, Demas let the things of this world, good things, draw his heart away from God. Look at what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. 
his love of these good things from God caused him to leave Paul and perhaps for his heart to turn away from the Lord. The first caution when we pray these prayers that are good prayers is to do not let these things get in between us and God. Here's the second caution I would give you. And that is simply this. Don't stop with the good prayers. So often, this is where we land in our prayer time. It's much like one of my kids coming to me with their Christmas list. Hey, Dad, and they take the scroll and it unrolls and falls to the floor. Here's my Christmas list for this year. You know, there you go. We come before God with our list. Give me this and give me this and give me this and give me this. In Jesus' name, amen. And it almost becomes this transactional relationship. God, I come to you and I pray and I ask for this and you give me this. Thanks a lot. And then we move on. So here's what I would encourage you to do. Not just to pray good prayers, but as well to pray better prayers. You can see that on your message map, the second line to fill in to pray better prayers. And this is a category in which I would place Solomon's prayer. God said, you can ask for anything. And Solomon could have asked for all the daily bread in the world. Solomon easily could have said here, give me fame and fortune, give me all of these things. And yet Solomon recognized his own lack of wisdom and the tremendous responsibility that he had as king. And so he prays for wisdom. There are a number of prayers that I would put into this better category. Prayers that go beyond asking just for physical and emotional and relational needs um, that are immediate, that are just right around us. Here's one from Matthew's gospel. This is a prayer that Jesus instructed his disciples to pray on the night that he was betrayed. You see what he says there? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus gave this same uh, principle in the model prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer when he said, pray this way, Lord, lead me not into temptation. What a great prayer. This is one that I pray virtually every day. Lord, protect me from temptation. Keep me from falling into sin. There are a lot of other prayers I would put in this category. Prayers for the salvation of a friend or a loved one. Or praying for the ministry of your church. How about this one? Praying for one's enemies, which we are instructed to do. Uh, praying for protection over your marriage. I would put all of these prayers in the better category, including a prayer for wisdom on how to rule God's people. God said, you can ask for anything, and Solomon prayed a much better prayer than just asking for silver or gold. However, again, we know that something changed dramatically in Solomon's life. Solomon became depressed he looked around at his life and said, it has no meaning. He looked at life and said, I hate my life. How did he get to this place? I mentioned earlier how Solomon's multiple marriages were good for the nation of Israel. They kept peace during all of this time, but these marriages were not good for Solomon on a personal level. 
Notice what we read later in 1 Kings about Solomon's wives. This is what the writer tells us. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines and his wives, you see that? Led him astray. Ultimately, it was his multiple, multiple marriages that became his undoing. These women moved his heart away from God and at the end of the day, led Solomon to a place of depression. And so I just wonder if later in life, toward the end of his life, Solomon did not look back on that moment when God said, you can ask anything and wish that he had prayed a prayer that I would put in the category of best prayers. Do you see that, number three, on your message map? The best prayers would be something like the prayer that his father David prayed in Psalm 63. Again, you can see this verse there. David prayed this. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I wonder, when Solomon was made this offer, when the Lord said, Solomon, ask anything, I wonder what would have happened if Solomon had said, God, no matter what, do not let my heart move away from you. How would that have changed Solomon's life? Toward the end of his life, no matter what else happened, Solomon would have been able to say, I have joy. Even if he did not have riches, even if he did not have wisdom, even if he did not have fame and power, he would have had joy. And isn't that better than everything else this world has to offer? Robert Robinson uh, was born in Norfolk, England in 1735. His childhood was less than ideal. At eight years old, his father passed away and it left him having to go to work uh, to support he and his mom. He secured an apprenticeship with a barber and then later became a barber uh, to be able to support the family. At 20 years old, he went to a revival meeting and he heard the preaching of George Whitfield. And he responded to the gospel that night and he gave his life to Christ. He left his job and he began to train for the ministry. He was very talented, very effective as a leader and a pastor. And eventually he became the pastor of the Stone Yard Baptist Chapel in Cambridge. Again, very effective as a pastor. The church actually grew to over a thousand members, which was a large church in that day. By every measure, he was successful. In fact, he even became a successful songwriter, writing a few hymns that became popular, not just in England, but eventually in the United States. But then something happened in his life. 
Later in his life, his heart began to drift away from the Lord. One day in those later years, he found himself on a stagecoach, uh, going from one town to the next. And one of the passengers on that stagecoach, a young girl, just to break up the monotony of the trip, she began to sing. She began to sing a song that was very popular in that day. Now, let me tell you a couple of things. One, it's very awkward to read the lyrics of, these song, of this song. Um, but secondly, there is a reason that Micah is our worship pastor. And more importantly, there's a reason I am not the worship pastor. I cannot sing. So I need your help this morning. Now, these words are on the screen. And if you've been in church, you're likely familiar with this song that this young woman sang that day. So I need you to, seriously, I need you to join in <laughs> and help me with this. This is a song that she sang. Come thou fount of every Tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Stop there. Great. Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm signing all of you up for the praise team. That was wonderful. She continued singing the song and she got to the very last line. Again, very familiar to you if you know this particular song. Here's what she's saying. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. She finished the song and she looked over at Robinson and she said, what did you think about the song? And he looked at her with tears in his eyes and he said, ma'am, I am the unhappy man who wrote that song many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I possessed them to feel now the joy that I felt back then. When Jesus walked on this earth, he asked this question that's so piercing. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his soul? What does it profit a man to have all the daily bread you could ask for? Yet to not have joy, to not have peace, to not have a heart that is steadfast on the Lord. Would you join me this week praying every single day something like this, God, keep my heart true on you. Do not let my heart move away from you. Grow my love for you every day.